my name is Kevin Conover, and you're listening to Educate for Life Radio. We broadcast typically down here in Southern California on KPraise 1210 AM. And uh, we have a really special guest today with us, at Jack Hibbs. If you don't know anything about Pastor Jack, he has been a pastor up in Chino Hills for, what are you going on? You're going on 40 years, wow. Pastor Jack? I tell you what, we started a home Bible study in 1990, so we're looking at 30 years, and uh, by God's grace, going strong. That's awesome. Praise God. Now, now, do you know Mike McIntosh and everybody? Well, yeah. I mean, I grew up at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, and of course, Mike yeah. was connected with all of that. So, uh, yeah, those guys came a little earlier uh, to Christ in the 60s and early 70s. Yeah. I came to the Lord in, in 1977. But, uh, yeah, all of us can say that we grew up there under Chuck Smith at Costa Mesa for years. So That's, that's grateful. awesome. Grateful. Yeah, yeah. I grew up going to um, Horizon Christian Fellowship, and, and so uh, that was a huge blessing uh, being under that leadership. But, hey, uh, what we really want to talk to you about is uh, all the intense activity that's going on with, uh, you know, California is now going back to the purple tier here, and uh, we're, we're back in it. Uh, and a lot of pastors are saying, hey, um, you know what, we're not gonna, we're not gonna close. Um, I know several churches down here in San Diego and they basically said, sorry, we're still doing indoor services. And, um, you know, what I really appreciate about you and your ministry and, you know, the whole Calvary Chapel mentality is that it's, everything is Bible based. It's okay. What does the Bible say? And that's where I go to for my insight and my direction. And, and so what I really want to talk to you about is, um, if it's okay with you, I want to read Romans chapter 13, because some people have a struggle here. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, where Paul starts talking to the Christians who are living under Rome. And it says here, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. And so, you know, and he goes on in there. And so for Christians, that's kind of a source of tension. It's like, wait a second, I want to follow the the word of the Lord. But at the same time, I think what the government is doing here is total overreach. So, um, you know, how do you you wrestle with that? And how do you speak to your congregation about that that tension? Yeah, man, I got to tell you, um, number one, there's no tension. (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> to be honest with you, no tension, and I'll, I'll tell you the reason why. When I began to hear early on, way back in, you know, March, uh, early May, that pastors were saying they're struggling with Romans 13. I've got to be honest with you. That really caused me to have to step back and take a breather because I couldn't figure out what they meant. I had never heard. Romans 13 understood from their angle before. I'd never seen that before because I had always been taught by Pastor Chuck Smith, for example, to take the Bible in its entirety and to let the scripture interpret scripture. So when when some began to say, we can't open up, we have to obey Romans 13. Um, Well, first of all, when President Trump said, we need to shut down for 15 days, to, because we don't know what we have on our hands. We shut down. Yeah. We didn't know if people were going to be bleeding in the streets and dropping dead. Nobody knew. So 15 days went by. We all reassessed things. And then Trump said, 
15 more days. Let's make it an even 30 to remember the famous word to flatten the curve. Yeah, yeah. And um, I have to tell you that I reluctantly obeyed our president. I didn't want to do that. I, I, com- I, I can tell you then that the Lord was really speaking to my heart about, uh, Jack, on, on what authority are you doing this? <laughs> and so that was a real struggle. Those, the second 15 days was really tough. And then when we went in California, after those 30 days, Trump, very wise, by the way, released the authority to the governors. That was a very smart move on his part. Now all the blame goes to the governors, if you think about it, or their interaction yeah. with, their, with, their, with their state, with their citizens. And so we immediately contacted the governor's office. And we said, where do you put the church? You're starting to categorize. Let us know where the church is at. And I, gotta be, I have to be honest with you. If Newsom would have said, you know what, we, we're going to put you guys in this category and that's going to happen on thus and such a day. We could have lived with that. But out of all the churches in California, I can tell you this, we were more connected with his office asking when, 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 that we became a nuisance. And uh, he couldn't give us an answer. He wouldn't give us an answer. So, but we continued on fasting, praying. Now, look, let me pause right there. Like everybody else, we were streaming messages. In fact, our entire staff began to go in overtime mode, literally. We created Calvary Chapel Chino Hills TV during that time, flooded the Christian market, so to speak, with, with content for adults and for kids. It was great. But it wasn't church. Getting together like that, streaming is not church. I don't care what anybody says. It's not church. It's not Hebrews 10.25. You're not getting together. You're not the ecclesia. And so fasting and, and prayer. Pastor Jack, Pastor Jack, why is that? When somebody, yeah, you know, easy. answer that question for our listeners. Why is that not church? So easy. In fact, you're going to actually answer it. Watch this. Have you ever been driving down the freeway and turned on uh, Mike McIntosh or J. Vernon McGee? Sure, yeah. Okay, or Chuck Smith? Uh-huh. Were you in church? No, no, definitely not. What, what were you enjoying? You were enjoying Bible teaching. Yeah. When the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling together, it's the ecclesia. We can listen to J. Vernon McGee all day long. It's not church. We can listen to Jack Hibbs streaming. It's not church. It's not church until you're together laying hands on one another, bearing one another's burdens, praying for, you know, the, the family of Christ, exercising your gift. You know, a lot of pastors were okay going online because they were exercising their gift. Mm. But children's ministry didn't get to, ushers didn't get to, the greeters didn't get to, uh, those that had the gift of helps and administration. Are you with me? You're tracking. Yeah, absolutely. They didn't get to enjoy their gifts. And so here's the thing. Romans 13 is 100% the word of God. But notice this. The authorities that have been instilled by God, when you read that in context, it's for us to be governed by what is good. Authority has been designed by God. Think about that for a moment. By, By the way, based on that premise is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we're not going to obey Hitler anymore. Yeah. Because Hitler has, Hitler has surrendered his God-given place of authority. Think about it. So, for example, 
in Acts chapter 5, at some point in time, the disciples being led by the Holy Spirit said, you know what? Uh, we've got to go with God now on this. And so you guys can decide on your own. To obey God rather than man, you guys can think about it. But for us, we're going to obey God. Yeah. So, so as a church in the 21st century, what is Romans 13 saying? That those authorities that are in power are there for the execution of unrighteousness. Remember, they're supposed to judge wrong. Meeting for church is not wrong. Getting together for church is not wrong. Mm. Charles Spurgeon, for example, had to weather the cholera outbreak in London. What did they do? They kept the church open and they ministered. Martin Luther was a pastor, priest, pastor, during the bubonic plague. What did he do? They ministered to the hurt and dying. The church is not essential, and the church is not not essential. The church, as a living, breathing organism invented by Jesus, is transcendent. That's why we will be the best citizens of the community. But when someone comes in and says, in fact, check this out. You, this causes you, it causes the light to come on like this. Yeah. When somebody says, you know what, we, we don't want you to meet could you, because you could spread germs. Okay, I get that concern. God bless you. I understand. Uh, I do believe, by the way, if you're sick, you should stay home. Uh, but having said that, it's very interesting to me that they went beyond that. Did they not say, in fact, if you go to church, even when you're six feet apart and your capacity is limited to 25 or 50%, you can't sing. You're not allowed to sing. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Think of that. So I obey Romans 13 until God definitely spoke to my heart and said on, April 30, uh, on May 31st, open up. And we opened up that day. And we've been open up ever since. People are healthy. The church is growing. We had 14,000 adults here last Sunday. Uh, people are flourishing. Uh, I've got testimony from people who said suicide was negated by them coming back to worship. People walk into our sanctuary weeping with a smile. Oh, Why? Yeah. It's the only normalcy in their world today, and it's causing them to have hope. Yeah. And so I know I went a long way to answer Romans 13, but people really, especially pastors, need to understand. We are the epitome of an example to an obedient citizenry. That's who we are. But when the leading governmental powers reject their God-appointed authority and become totalitarian, then it's time for us to obey God rather than man. That's fantastic. You know, and I really like what you were saying about the fact that, um, you know, that the leadership was instituted in order to do to punish those who are committing crimes, right? So, yeah. I mean, that, that makes a clear division there. And when, when we're doing the right thing and we're not doing the right thing. And like you said, I, I think, um, you know, I, I teach at a private Christian school and we were out the last quarter of last year. Um, right. I'm the 12th grade Bible teacher. And it was amazing because when the kids got to come back to school, because our school is fully open, uh, we wear masks and we have a lot of social distance and everything. But, but the fact of the matter is those kids actually said, we want to come to school. Oh, yes. <laughs> we, I had kids saying, I want my, to put my uniform on. You know, these yes. are words I never thought I would hear <laughs> coming from our students. But it was amazing how once that was gone, these students were dying to come back and be with people. And, and this is what God designed us to do. He designed yes. us to, like you said, uh, be in fellowship with the church. And 
So uh, another question I, I have, you know, is for those pastors out there that are listening that are going, hey, where is that line? You know, when do I, when do I uh, move back? And, um, you know, because like you said, you, you stopped church for 15 days and you, you closed down for 30 days. Uh, but then there came a point where you said, you know what, this is not the time anymore. And there's a lot of churches that are still wrestling with that. They're wrestling with, okay, should I be opening? Should I not be opening? Um, is that something that's a private matter between you and the Holy Spirit? What is the criteria by which you evaluate, you know, or, or somebody's in, in the, that position? When is the time to open? Is, should all churches in America be open right now, in your opinion? How do you feel about that? Wow. You know what? I'm going to answer your question if you will allow me to preface it by saying, I'm going to assume that there's a whole lot of grace right now to understand that what I'm about to say is one reporter's opinion. This is simply my conviction. I would never dare to project this onto someone else. Having said that, okay? The Lord has always made it clear in my life during ministry that I am, if anything, a sheepdog. He's the shepherd. They're his people. I didn't die for them. I'm only supposed to, according to Jeremiah, feed them the word of God, right? Mm, yeah. Okay, so I have an extremely high view of the church, and I, get, and I got that from Pastor Chuck. I believe that even though Jack closed the doors early on with the best intentions, I don't know if that was right, according to Scripture. My struggle is this. Should I have ever closed the church at all? Oh, wow. Because Jesus tells us that, behold, I've set before you an open door that no man can shut. Mm. Ouch. Um, we're not to forsake the assembling together. And I can hear the voices right now saying, but Jack, we didn't know if people were going to drop dead. I totally get it. Yeah. But my God knows everything. My God knew in advance before COVID or H1N1 or the Spanish flu, whatever show. I, he knew in advance. So I can tell you this, I, I, I've learned, I have told the church and I let the governor's office know that we will never close our doors again. Never. That he is invited based upon his authority that if he wants to close this church, then he, will, then he has to do it with, with chains. He'll have to lock the doors. I will not do it. I will not do that. I don't have that authority to close the doors of the living God. I don't have that authority. I'll, I'll have him do that. And, and that, that will be on him. I do believe right now, let's just pretend for a moment. What if, what if everything that you and I've studied all these years could possibly be coming true? Who's to say that Jesus, what if Jesus is coming back in three months? Hmm. We had two, we had 212 people last Sunday give, get saved. Oh, praise okay? God. Six, Sundays, six Saturdays ago, we baptized 1,004 people down at Corona del Mar. Wow. <laughs> 1,004 people. That's amazing. Largest recorded baptism. In, as, far, as far as the media, it was the largest baptism of individuals one at a time. Took us four and a half hours in California history. Wow. What if that means? What if that means that Jesus is coming back soon? Mm. If Jesus was coming back soon, wouldn't you open the doors to your church right now and get out a gigantic net and have all the lost? <laughs> Right? Have the whole, yeah. have all the boss jump in? That's amazing. That's what, that's what I struggle with. I want to be obedient to what he's doing because you know what? Man, we could be out of here any day now. It's true. That's absolutely true. You know, and um, what do you think about that? You know, from a, from a, 
you have a, a huge focus on prophecy. You have a huge focus on, uh, you know, eschatology and, and uh, the signs and all these things. And, and that's another thing that I've always loved about um, the Calvary Chapel mentality is that this is a big focus um, because yeah. And when I first, when I first, uh, Mike's messages every Sunday, it would be like, um, the, the, you know, here's the signs, right? And I'd be like, dude, this guy doesn't preach on anything else. <laughs> but but, but um, at the time when I was younger, I didn't understand why. But right. as I got to know the word of God better, I began to realize, whoa, this is because it helps us to have a mindset. And just like yeah. the scripture teaches, um, to be prepared at, at, at any time. Yeah. But, you know, what's your message to, you know, to the pastors and to um, those Christians out there, the church, really, uh, that is looking at all these things uh, and saying, hey, what is it going to, when is it going to happen? You said it could happen any day now. Yeah, it could happen in three months, right? Um, sure. you have a, do you have in your mind like a, a time frame or are you kind of at, in a position where you're, you're like, such you know? A, uh, yeah, yeah. such a cool question. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to like my answer. <laughs> but I love my answer. Okay. Here, here, <laughs> if you love it, I love it. So that's, that's kind of you. So everything I teach, everything we do is in the mindset of, are we ready to meet Jesus today? Are you ready? I, I, I challenge my staff all the time. Are you guys ready to meet the Lord? I mean, I'll be blunt with you. I don't know how many people are listening right now. I'm just going to tell you straight up. I look at my staff and I, and I ask them, are you sleeping with your own husband and your own wife? Keep it that way. Stay clean. Keep your spirit clean. I'll tell them, okay? Number <laughs> two. <laughs> Number two. This is what's before us. Salem Broadcasting wants us to, uh, uh, to go on in these cities. Uh, we're going to pray about that. Uh, we're joining up with L.A. County. We're going to be building a $20 million project to house the underprivileged. Uh, let's do that. It's a four-and-a-half-year project. Uh, God's opened the door. We're doing that. I'm going to be preaching a prophecy conference. We're going to be, uh, you know, teaching that Jesus could come back at any moment from the Bible. Uh, but we are also getting ready to teach the future legislators and congressmen for the next 25 years. Um, this, I just ran through the day in the life of this church. My whole premise is occupy till I come. We are so busy about our father's business, but at the same time, we're listening. And that's how this, the heartbeat of this church operates. That's awesome. If you're listening right now, it's Calvary Chapel, uh, calvarycch.org. Uh, and um, and uh, you're in uh, Chino Hills, right up yeah. there, uh, right a little pretty close to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa also. And, and yeah. um, so uh, do you think right now, does, does COVID in your mind, um, and from what you've studied of prophecy, does it, does, is, does this have any role in prophecy? Is there any prophecies that are related to um, the issue of COVID? Uh, is, is, does that yeah. play into anything? Boy, you know what? You just set me up for like some grand announcement with all Bible prophecy teaching, <laughs> the signs of the times. Um, so you're, listen, I don't, I don't see it like that. Yeah. Um, honestly, I have to tell you, I think maybe you'll see that COVID, hasn't COVID been such a mystery to so many people? Yeah. Now, granted, granted, COVID, COVID, if you have an exi existing health issue, especially diabetes, the COVID virus really attacks people who are compromised. Hmm. Okay, we know that as a scientific fact. But if you're young, you're going to do pretty good, if not perfect. Point is this. I don't believe that you can point to COVID and say, look, this is Matthew 24. 
I don't believe that. Um, but I will say this. I, I believe from what I have seen, what you've seen regarding the church at this time around the world. Listen to this. This is the first time ever in the history of the church where the church has been affected by being closed down all around the world at the exact same time. Yeah. That's prophetic. It's not COVID. It's how the church has been either attacked or tested. So here's my prophetic stickler. I believe right now in God's mercy, he's shaking the church mm. and he's using COVID. He didn't send it, but he's using it to test pastors, to test their resolve, to test their courage, to test their commitment. And then he's testing the flock. I know people who when COVID hit and they stopped coming to church, you know, we, cause we shut down for 15 days. Yeah. They're gone. They just flew away. What happened to them? Where'd they go? I have no doubt that God has used COVID to purify the church. Mm. I don't think he sent it. I don't think he caused it, but I think he's using it. And that to me is more prophetic of a sign than anything else that he's getting his bride ready and pure to fill up her oil tank, so to speak, right? Her vessel. Yeah. And a lot of people have ran away and that it's sad to say, but that might be a good thing where the church has been made lean. Yeah. And so what is God preparing us for? You know, we, we don't know um, with the election and everything that's happening right now with um, the battle that's going on over voter fraud and these sorts of things. Um, you know, what's your insight as far as, you know, the next four years, regardless of whether Trump, Trump is elected or, or, or whether uh, Biden is elected, uh, what do you think that, that God is preparing the church for? And what, what as Christians, as the body of Christ, um, what are our next steps here over the next, you know, year, two years, four years? Uh, what are your thoughts on how we should be moving forward? Yeah. So at the moment of this uh, interview, the election has not legally been called. So it could go one of two ways. So number one, let's say it goes Biden's way. Uh, what does that mean to the church? Number one, it means we keep preaching the gospel. Number two is we need to really make sure that we're discipling our people because they need to get ready to understand that the Obama presidency is a very, very uh, pro-abortion presidency. It is a, uh, I know this is going to sound nuts, but mark this, mark this recording. It's going to be proven a fact it's going to become a very racially divisive presidency. Mm, mm. I know that sounds kooky. Just wait and see. Um, I believe it. I believe it. And, and you're going to see Israel left in the dust. Uh, he, Biden's presidency has no stomach for Israel whatsoever. Right. From a, from a Christian's perspective, those are all things that are actually biblically encouraging to me because I know we're in the last days and these things are going to happen. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, if it goes Trump, what does that mean? It means more of what we've just had. We've enjoyed the greatest freedom, religious freedom. There's been no Johnson amendment for the last four years. Pastors can say anything they want. You're going to see a tremendous pro-life position continue. And you're going to see Israel as the most favored nation by this administration. So what does that mean? 
It means we keep preaching the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> right? We preach the gospel. We take advantage of our liberty because maybe we've only got four years. We hurry up because Jesus said, go now. Because it's daytime. Night's coming when nobody can work. So we go yeah. now. Yeah. Look, either way, we are the incredible Rock'em Sock'em Church. And we are going to be preaching the gospel, making disciples, looking up, even if we're taken off to jail. It's totally cool. That's awesome. My guest today, if you guys have just tuned in, is uh, Jack Hibbs, Pastor Jack Hibbs, and he's calvarycch.org. That's Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. And uh, if, you, if you want a great church to go check out and a Bible-believing church that preaches the truth and isn't afraid to stand up for the truth, um, please check him out, Pastor Jack Hibbs, down here in Southern California. And um, Pastor, so, uh, I mean, that's, that's phenomenal, and I love that. Um, I love the message you're giving. Are there any, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hitting on a little bit of the prophecy stuff here, but are there any prophecies in your mind that need to happen before the return of Christ? Is there anything that's a requirement? Uh, before uh, Christ can return? What a great question. According to very conservative, which is what I like, safe conservative eschatology, the study of the prophetic scriptures. If people don't know, 27 to 31% of the Bible is futuristic. And all of the prophecies that have been fulfilled, according to the Bible, were actually 100% fulfilled literally. That's a pretty amazing truth. So what do we mean? That Whatever prophecies are left to be fulfilled, they will be fulfilled literally. Now, having said that, there are nearly 300 Bible prophecies that must be fulfilled before the second coming of Christ happens when he arrives as Messiah and takes his seat upon the throne of David in Jerusalem. That's called, technically, the second coming. That's when he physically returns. Like the first coming was his appearance or his ride. Zechariah 9.9, on the back of that little donkey into Jerusalem, hailed as king. That's his first coming. It's not Bethlehem. That's his first coming. His second coming will be very much the same. He's going to come down the Mount of Olives, the Bible tells us. He's going to be riding a white horse. He's going to enter into the eastern or golden gate, and he's going to judge the nations seated upon the throne of David. In between those two events, when Christ comes, one is Savior, one is King, uh, Deliverer, Uh, that's to the Jewish nation, and it's geographically to the city of Jerusalem. The rapture has no prerequisites. The rapture has no uh, Bible prophecy indicators that have to happen before it takes place. That's why you have heard the teaching of what is known as the imminency doctrine. Mm -hmm. That is that regarding the rapture, there is no warning. It's sudden. It's... it's, it's, uh, there's no warning. You need to be ready, Jesus said. Don't let the oil in your lamp run out. You need to be watching uh, Titus 2.13, the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. First John says that all those who have that hope purify themselves even as he is pure. The church is going to, by nature, be ready. So no, there's no prerequisite for the rapture, but there's a lot of prerequisites for the second coming. Okay, that's fantastic. Now, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier on, you were saying that, you know, and again, a a big focus of Calvary Chapel has always been discipleship. Um, And so you were saying that this presidency, if if Biden is uh, elected, if he does become the president, that it's very, very uh, pro-abortion. It's it's very hostile. You know, and when it comes to discipleship, would you say what what is an area of the church? So for those pastors that are listening, for those pastors that are thinking about their focus for this upcoming year, 
what is an area of the church that you feel is weak that there needs to be more of a focus on maybe when it comes to um, discipleship in the area of issues that are being debated in the public square? And how does that play out with our evangelism? What is the connection between our ability to uh, defend our faith combined with our ability to share the gospel? Evangelizing men, biblical masculinity, follow God's model. If, if every church in California, if not America, began to take a very serious commitment to either evangelize or disciple the men of their church, you're going to see women turned around. You're going to see women delighted. You're going to see children blossom. The biblical masculinity has been under attack for centuries. Satan knows it. Go after the, the, the males neuter them in opinion, neuter them in, in commitment, neuter them in all of the things that God has made us strong in. The, the culture today has gotten man, men, to apologize for being a man. What mm. we need to do, a great commitment of church discipleship must be to teach biblical masculinity because any kid that sees their dad biblically masculine or wife, let me tell you, There'll be a revival in the church when men start being the man that God's made them to be. Holy cow. It's going to be amazing. We're working hard on that here at this church. Uh, I'm going to say something that is going to generate male. I'm sorry for you. (laughs) Boy, this is going to sound tough. That's okay. I've got got thick skin. (laughs) 30 years of ministry has taught me something. Here it is. We have tried five times to have a men's ministry at this church. And they have failed every time. They failed. How did they fail? They just became a group of men. Yeah. They high-fived. They did some chest bumping. They went to a retreat. They rolled their Harleys together. Some guys hiked. And all the wives were complaining to me, I don't see my husband anymore. (laughs) He's off on Saturdays with the guys. So you know what I did? I wound up canceling three years ago. our, our, Our men's ministry canceled it, shut it down. And went into hiding, raised up 60 men, because what we do here at this church is we establish a biblical-based masculinity of Mm -hmm. the men of this church. If you attend this church and a man hasn't come up to you yet and said, hey, uh, are you part of the BUDS training, the, the discipleship training of being a man? No. Then come with me. All the men of the church are eventually going to be schooled on how to love your wife, how to talk to her, how to date her, and if you're single, how to get a wife and keep her. And by the way, we're blowing up this concept about this mysticism. Oh my gosh, I'd love to be married, uh, but he's really handsome, but uh, I I don't know what I should do about it, or she's beautiful, but uh, I don't know what I should do. We're, We're actually teaching people. Do you think that she's you think she's cute over there? The girl in children's ministry? I sure do. Go ask her out. Come here. Come on. Let's go, go over there. Ask her out. <laughs> actually, actually do something about that. That could be yeah. from God. You yeah. may think she's cute or you might think he's handsome because it's from God. That's right. Yeah. Act on it. Act on it and see what happens. That's great. Well, that, that's a huge. I think that's something a, a lot of churches really need is, like you were saying, is the whole thing about helping men raise up. Uh, that's such a powerful message. Uh, you know, and I think a lot of churches wrestle with that also is how do we get these men in here? 
Um, you know, we have the many women coming to the church and they're praying for their husband, but the husbands aren't, aren't, aren't coming to the church door. And so uh, do you have any advice in that regard as far as how does somebody, I know you said you build a foundation from 60 men. You went into hiding for three years. That's it. That's a pretty uh, huge effort. Um, what's your advice to, is that what you would advise to other pastors is, Hey, yeah, just start building that foundation of male leaders. Is that what you, you do? It's very, I, yes, I do encourage that. And, and the, um, how do I put it? The marketing of it is so perfect. It's so easy. Uh, we get it right from the scripture. Here's what happens. Women talk. And so when a woman experiences her man changing, she tells her friend. And her friend says, well, my husband won't come. Well, I tell you what, this is what's going on. And then this woman eventually says, you know what? You don't need to go to church on Sunday. Why don't you go to this thing? Just do it one time. And it's pretty awesome because what they find out is, hey, these guys at this church, they're not a bunch of... Uh, they're not a bunch of, you know, weasels and weaklings. These guys actually love God. And, um, you know, they're not, they're, they're guys. Yeah. And, and, yet, and yet their guyness is dedicated to the Lord. Uh, this is authentic. I think I would say to you, that's the biggest selling factor. And I think this is true about wherever Jesus is at, is authenticity. These yeah. guys might not go to church because they got a lot of hangups about a lot of things. But when they see, some real authentic men who love God, it's very attractive to the searching soul. It yeah. really is. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Jack, we're, um, we're just about out of time here. So uh, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the program today. And uh, for those of you listening, calvarycch.org, um, check it out if you're in Southern California, if you're up in the uh, Los Angeles area, Orange County area, Chino Hills. And um, please keep praying for Pastor Jack Pastor, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your example. I think it's incredible, um, your determination and what you've done. So praise God. Uh, thank you so much uh, for what you've done. I tell you what, thank you for this opportunity to be on here with you because you're with us spreading the word. I appreciate you. Amen. So, uh, and, and we'll be back again next week. For those of you guys listening, educateforlife.org. We've got hundreds of interviews up on the web that are meant to help you, encourage you. They're testimonies from people all over the world telling you about how God has ministered to them and then how God is using them to minister to people all over the place. We've got scientists up there. One of the top scientists in the world, Dr. James Tor, talks about how Christ ministered to him and how evolution can't ever happen. We've got uh, interviews with former homosexuals up there who have met Christ and uh, God has radically transformed them like Patty Height and uh, many other people who God is using in the world today and are an example to us about how we can be a light for Christ. So check it out, educateforlife.org jackhibbs.com you can check out or calvarycch.org god bless you and i hope you have a great rest of your week and uh keep praying hard for uh the presidency and uh keep praying hard for god to work through what's happening with covid so uh take care we'll see you next time have a good night